section eleven of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six continued part two the non-dramatic poets of the elizabethan age edmund spencer fifteen fifty two fifteen ninety nine cuddy peers i have piped ere so long with pain that all mine oaten reeds been rent and wore and my poor muse hath spent her sparred store yet little good hath got and much less gain such pleasance makes the grasshopper so poor and ligus so laid note lie so faint when winter doth her strain the dapper ditties that i want devise to feed youth's fancy and the flocking fry delighten much what i the bet for thigh they han the pleasure i a slender prize i beat the bush the birds to them do fly what good thereof to cuddy can arise peers cuddy the praise is better than the prize the glory ick much greater than the gain shepherd's calendar october in these words with their sorrowful suggestion of deor spencer reveals his own heart unconsciously perhaps as no biographer could possibly do his life and work seem to centre about three great influences summed up in three names cambridge where he grew acquainted with the classics and the italian poets london where he experienced the glamour and the disappointment of court life and ireland which steeped him in the beauty and imagery of old celtic poetry and first gave him leisure to write his masterpiece life of spencer's early life and parentage we know little except that he was born in east smithfield near the tower of london and was poor his education began at the merchant tailor's school in london and was continued in cambridge where as a poor sizer and fag for wealthy students he earned a scant living here in the glorious world that only a poor scholar knows how to create for himself he read the classics made acquaintance with the great italian poets and wrote numberless little poems of his own though chaucer was his beloved master his ambition was not to rival the canterbury tales but rather to express the dream of english chivalry much as ariosto had done for italy in orlando furioso after leaving cambridge fifteen seventy six spencer went to the north of england on some unknown work or quest here his chief occupation was to fall in love and to record his melancholy over the lost rosalind in the shepherd's calendar upon his friend harvey's advice he came to london bringing his poems and here he met leicester then at the height of royal favor and the latter took him to live at leicester house here he finished the shepherd's calendar and here he met sidney and all the queen's favorites the court was full of intrigues lying and flattery and spencer's opinion of his own uncomfortable position is best expressed in a few lines from mother hubbard's tale 
full little knowest thou that has not tried what hell it is in suing long to bide to lose good days that might be better spent to waste long nights in pensive discontent to fret thy soul with crosses and with cares to eat thy heart through comfortless despairs to fawn to crouch to wait to ride to run to spend to give to want to be undone in fifteen eighty through leicester's influence spencer who was utterly weary of his dependent position was made secretary to lord grey the queen's deputy in ireland and the third period of his life began he accompanied his chief through one campaign of savage brutality in putting down an irish rebellion and was given an immense estate with the castle of kilcolman in munster which had been confiscated from earl desmond one of the irish leaders his life here where according to the terms of his grant he must reside as an english settler he regarded as lonely exile my luckless lot that banished had myself like white forlore into that waste where i was quite forgot it is interesting to note here a gentle poet's view of the unhappy island after nearly sixteen years residence he wrote his view of the state of ireland fifteen ninety six note the view was not published till sixteen thirty three his only prose work in which he submits a plan for pacifying the oppressed and rebellious people this was to bring a huge force of cavalry and infantry into the country give the irish a brief time to submit and after that to hunt them down like wild beasts he calculated that cold famine and sickness would help the work of the sword and that after the rebels had been well hounded for two winters the following summer would find the country peaceful this plan from the poet of harmony and beauty was somewhat milder than the usual treatment of a brave people whose offence was that they loved liberty and religion strange as it may seem the view was considered most statesmanlike and was excellently well received in england in kilcolman surrounded by great natural beauty spencer finished the first three books of the fairy queen in fifteen eighty nine raleigh visited him heard the poem with enthusiasm hurried the poet off to london and presented him to elizabeth the first three books met with instant success when published and were acclaimed as the greatest work in the english language a yearly pension of fifty pounds was conferred by elizabeth but rarely paid and the poet turned back to exile that is to ireland again soon after his return spencer fell in love with his beautiful elizabeth an irish girl wrote his amoretti or sonnets in her honor and afterwards represented her in the fairy queen as the beautiful woman dancing among the graces in fifteen ninety four he married elizabeth celebrating his wedding with his epithalamion one of the most beautiful wedding hymns in any language spencer's next visit to london was in fifteen ninety five when he published astrophel an elegy on the death of his friend sidney and three more books of the fairy queen 
on this visit he lived again at leicester house now occupied by the new favorite essex where he probably met shakespeare and the other literary lights of the elizabethan age soon after his return to ireland spencer was appointed sheriff of cork a queer office for a poet which probably brought about his undoing the same year tyrone's rebellion broke out in munster kilcolman the ancient house of desmond was one of the first places attacked by the rebels and spencer barely escaped with his wife and two children it is supposed that some unfinished parts of the fairy queen were burned in the castle from the shock of this frightful experience spencer never recovered he returned to england heartbroken and in the following year fifteen ninety nine he died in an inn at westminster according to ben jonson he died for want of bread but whether that is a poetic way of saying that he had lost his property or that he actually died of destitution will probably never be known he was buried beside his master chaucer in westminster abbey the poets of that age thronging to his funeral and according to camden casting their elegies and the pens that had written them into his tomb spencer's works the fairy queen is the great work upon which the poet's fame chiefly rests the original plan of the poem included twenty-four books each of which was to recount the adventure and triumph of a knight who represented a moral virtue spencer's purpose as indicated in a letter to raleigh which introduces the poem is as follows to portrait in arthur before he was king the image of a brave knight perfected in the twelve private moral virtues as aristotle hath devised which is the purpose of these first twelve books which if i find to be well accepted i may be perhaps encouraged to frame the other part of politic virtues in his person after that he came to be king each of the virtues appears as a knight fighting his opposing vice and the poem tells the story of the conflicts it is therefore purely allegorical not only in its personified virtues but also in its representation of life as a struggle between good and evil in its strong moral element the poem differs radically from orlando furioso upon which it was modeled spencer completed only six books celebrating holiness temperance chastity friendship justice and courtesy we have also a fragment of the seventh treating of constancy but the rest of this book was not written or else was lost in the fire at kilcolman the first three books are by far the best and judging by the way that the interest lags and the allegory grows incomprehensible it is perhaps as well for spencer's reputation that the other eighteen books remained a dream argument of the fairy queen from the introductory letter we learn that the hero visits the queen's court in fairyland where she is holding a twelve days festival on each day some distressed person appears unexpectedly tells a woeful story of dragons of enchantresses or of distressed beauty or virtue and asks for a champion to right the wrong and to let the oppressed go free sometimes a knight volunteers or 
begs for the dangerous mission again the duty is assigned by the queen and the journeys and adventures of these knights are the subjects of the several books the first recounts the adventures of the red cross knight representing holiness and the lady una representing religion their contests are symbolical of the world-wide struggle between virtue and faith on the one hand and sin and heresy on the other the second book tells the story of sir guillon or temperance the third of britomartis representing chastity the fourth fifth and sixth of campbell and triamond friendship artigal justice and sir calidor courtesy spencer's plan was a very elastic one and he filled up the measure of his narrative with everything that caught his fancy historical events and personages under allegorical masks beautiful ladies chivalrous knights giants monsters dragons sirens enchanters and adventures enough to stock a library of fiction if you read homer or virgil you know his subject in the first strong line if you read cadmon's paraphrase or milton's epic the introduction gives you the theme but spenser's great poem with the exception of a single line in the prologue fierce wars and faithful love shall moralize my song gives hardly a hint of what is coming as to the meaning of the allegorical figures one is generally in doubt in the first three books the shadowy fairy queen sometimes represents the glory of god and sometimes elizabeth who was naturally flattered by the parallel britomartis is also elizabeth the red cross knight is sidney the model englishman arthur who always appears to rescue the oppressed is lester which is another outrageous flattery una is sometimes religion and sometimes the protestant church while duessa represents mary queen of scots or general catholicism in the last three books elizabeth appears again as mercilla henry the fourth of france as bourbon the war in the netherlands as the story of lady belge raleigh as timaeus the earls of northumberland and westmoreland lovers of mary or duessa as blandemur and paradel and so through the wide range of contemporary characters and events till the allegory becomes as difficult to follow as the second part of goethe's faust poetical form for the fairy queen spencer invented a new verse form which has been called since his day the spencerian stanza because of its rare beauty it has been much used by nearly all our poets in their best work the new stanza was an improved form of ariosto's ottava rima i e eight line stanza and bears a close resemblance to one of chaucer's most musical verse forms in the monk's tale spencer's stanza is in nine lines eight of five feet each and the last of six feet rhyming a b a b b c b c c a few selections from the first book which is best worth reading are reproduced here to show the style and melody of the verse a gentle knight was pricking on the plain a clad note clad in mighty arms and silver shield 
wherein old dents of deep wounds did remain the cruel marks of many a bloody field yet arms still that time did he never wield his angry steed did chide his foaming bit as much disdaining to the curb to yield full yolly note handsome knight he seemed and fair did sit as one for knightly justs note jousts tournaments and fierce encounters fit and on his breast a bloody cross he bore the dare remembrance of his dying lord for whose sweet sake that glorious badge he wore and dead as living ever him adored upon his shield the like was also scored for sovereign hope which in his help he had right faithful true he was indeed and word but of his cheer note countenance did seem too solemn sad yet nothing did he dread but ever was idrad note dreaded this sleepy bit from the dwelling of morpheus invites us to linger and more to lull him in his slumber soft a trickling stream from high rock tumbling down and ever drizzling rain upon the loft mixed with a murmuring wind much like the song of swarming bees did cast him in a swoon nor the noise nor people's troublous cries as still are wont to annoy the walled town might there be heard but careless quiet lies wrapped in eternal silence far from enemies the description of una shows the poet's sense of ideal beauty one day nigh weary of the irksome way from her unhasty beast she did alight and on the grass her dainty limbs did lay in secret shadow far from all men's sight from her fair head her fillet she undight note took off and laid her stole aside her angel's face as the great eye of heaven shined bright and made a sunshine in the shady place did never mortal eye behold such heavenly grace it fortuned out of the thickest wood a ramping lion rushed suddenly hunting full greedy after salvage blood soon as the royal virgin he did spy with gaping mouth at her ran greedily to have at once devoured her tender course but to the prey when as he drew more nigh his bloody rage assuaged with remorse note pity and with the sight amazed forgot his furious force instead thereof he kissed her weary feet and licked her lily hands with fawning tongue as he her wronged innocence did weet note no oh how can beauty master the most strong and simple truth subdue avenging wrong minor poems next to his masterpiece the shepherd's calendar fifteen seventy nine is the best known of spenser's poems though as his first work it is below many others in melody it consists of twelve pastoral poems or eclogues one for each month of the year the themes are generally rural life nature love in the fields and the speakers are shepherds and shepherdesses to increase the rustic effect spencer uses strange forms of speech and obsolete words to such an extent that johnson complained his works are not english or any other language 
some are melancholy poems on his lost rosalind some are satires on the clergy one the briar and the oak is an allegory one flatters elizabeth and others are pure fables touched with the puritan spirit they are written in various styles and meters and show plainly that spenser was practicing and preparing himself for greater work other noteworthy poems are mother hubbard's tale a satire on society astrophel an elegy on the death of sydney amoretti or sonnets to his elizabeth the marriage hymn epithalamion and four hymns on love beauty heavenly love and heavenly beauty there are numerous other poems and collections of poems but these show the scope of his work and are best worth reading importance of the shepherd's calendar the publication of this work in fifteen seventy nine by an unknown writer who signed himself modestly emerito marks an important epoch in our literature we shall appreciate this better if we remember the long years during which england had been without a great poet chaucer and spenser are often studied together as poets of the renaissance period and the idea prevails that they were almost contemporary in fact nearly two centuries passed after chaucer's death years of enormous political and intellectual development and not only did chaucer have no successor but our language had changed so rapidly that english men had lost the ability to read his lines correctly note in the nineteenth century men learned again to appreciate chaucer this first published work of spenser is noteworthy in at least four respects first it marks the appearance of the first national poet in two centuries second it shows again the variety and melody of english verse which had been largely a tradition since chaucer third it was our first pastoral the beginning of a long series of english pastoral compositions modeled on spenser and as such exerted a strong influence on subsequent literature and fourth it marks the real beginning of the outburst of great elizabethan poetry characteristics of spenser's poetry the five main qualities of spenser's poetry are one a perfect melody two a rare sense of beauty three a splendid imagination which could gather into one poem heroes knights ladies dwarfs demons and dragons classic mythology stories of chivalry and the thronging ideals of the renaissance all passing in gorgeous procession across an ever-changing and ever-beautiful landscape four a lofty moral purity and seriousness five a delicate idealism which could make all nature and every common thing beautiful in contrast with these excellent qualities the reader will probably note the strange appearance of his lines due to his fondness for obsolete words like ayn eyes and shend shame and his tendency to coin others like mercify to suit his own purposes 
it is spenser's idealism his love of beauty and his exquisite melody which have caused him to be known as the poet's poet nearly all our subsequent singers acknowledge their delight in him and their indebtedness macaulay alone among critics voices of fault which all who are not poets quickly feel namely that with all spencer's excellences he is difficult to read the modern man loses himself in the confused allegory of the fairy queen skips all but the marked passages and softly closes the book in a gentle weariness even the best of his longer poems while of exquisite workmanship and delightfully melodious generally fail to hold the reader's attention the movement is languid there is little dramatic interest and only a suggestion of humor the very melody of his verses sometimes grows monotonous like a strauss waltz too long continued we shall best appreciate spenser by reading at first only a few well-chosen selections from the fairy queen and the shepherd's calendar and a few of the minor poems which exemplify his wonderful melody comparison between chaucer and spenser at the outset it is well to remember that though spenser regarded chaucer as his master two centuries intervened between them and that their writings have almost nothing in common we shall appreciate this better by a brief comparison between our first two modern poets chaucer was a combined poet and man of affairs with the latter predominating though dealing largely with ancient or medieval material he has a curiously modern way of looking at life indeed he is our only author preceding shakespeare with whom we feel thoroughly at home he threw aside the outgrown metrical romance which was practically the only form of narrative in his day invented the art of story-telling in verse and brought it to a degree of perfection which has probably never since been equaled though a student of the classics he lived wholly in the present studied the men and women of his own time painted them as they were but added always a touch of kindly humor or romance to make them more interesting so his mission appears to be simply to amuse himself and his readers his mastery of various and melodious verse was marvelous and has never been surpassed in our language but the english of his day was changing rapidly and in a very few years men were unable to appreciate his art so that even to spencer and dryden for example he seemed deficient in metrical skill on this account his influence on our literature has been much less than we should expect from the quality of his work and from his position as one of the greatest of english poets like chaucer spencer was a busy man of affairs but in him the poet and the scholar always predominates he writes as the idealist describing men not as they are but as he thinks they should be he has no humor and his mission is not to amuse but to reform like chaucer he studies the classics and contemporary french and italian writers but instead of adapting his material to present-day conditions he makes poetry as in his eclogues for instance more artificial even than his foreign models where chaucer looks about him and describes life as he sees it spencer always looks backward for his inspiration 
he lives dreamily in the past in a realm of purely imaginary emotions and adventures his first quality is imagination not observation and he is the first of our poets to create a world of dreams fancies and illusions his second quality is a wonderful sensitiveness to beauty which shows itself not only in his subject matter but also in the manner of his poetry like chaucer he is an almost perfect workman but in reading chaucer we think chiefly of his natural characters or his ideas while in reading spenser we think of the beauty of expression the exquisite spenserian stanza and the rich melody of spenser's verse have made him the model of all our modern poets minor poets though spenser is the one great non-dramatic poet of the elizabethan age a multitude of minor poets demand attention of the student who would understand the tremendous literary activity of the period one needs only to read the paradise of dainty devices fifteen seventy six or a gorgeous gallery of gallant inventions fifteen seventy eight or any other of the miscellaneous collections to find hundreds of songs many of them of exquisite workmanship by poets whose names now awaken no response a glance is enough to assure one that over all england the sweet spirit of song had arisen like the first chirping of birds after a storm nearly two hundred poets are recorded in the short period from fifteen fifty eight to sixteen twenty five and many of them were prolific writers in a work like this we can hardly do more than mention a few of the best-known writers and spend a moment at least with the works that suggest marlowe's description of infinite riches in a little room the reader will note for himself the interesting union of action and thought in these men so characteristic of the elizabethan age for most of them were engaged chiefly in business or war or politics and literature was to them a pleasant recreation rather than an absorbing profession thomas sackville fifteen thirty six sixteen o eight sir thomas sackville earl of dorset and lord high treasurer of england is generally classed with wyatt and surrey among the predecessors of the elizabethan age in imitation of dante's inferno sackville formed the design of a great poem called the mirror for magistrates under guidance of an allegorical personage called sorrow he meets the spirits of all the important actors in english history the idea was to follow lydgate's fall of princes and let each character tell his own story so that the poem would be a mirror in which present rulers might see themselves and read this warning who reckless rules right soon may hope to rue sackville finished only the induction and the complaint of the duke of buckingham these are written in the rhyme royal and are marked by strong poetic feeling and expression unfortunately sackville turned from poetry to politics and the poem was carried on by two inferior poets william baldwin and george ferrers sackville wrote also in connection with thomas norton the first english tragedy ferrex and porrex called also gorboduc which will be considered in the following section on the rise of the drama 
philip sidney fifteen fifty four fifteen eighty six sidney the ideal gentleman the sir calidor of spencer's legend of courtesy is vastly more interesting as a man than as a writer and the student is recommended to read his biography rather than his books his life expresses better than any single literary work the two ideals of the age personal honor and national greatness as a writer he is known by three principal works all published after his death showing how little importance he attached to his own writing even while he was encouraging spencer the arcadia is a pastoral romance interspersed with eclogues in which shepherds and shepherdesses sing of the delights of rural life though the work was taken up idly as a summer's pastime it became immensely popular and was imitated by a hundred poets the apology for poetry fifteen ninety five generally called the defense of poesy appeared in answer to a pamphlet by stephen gosson called the school of abuse fifteen seventy nine in which the poetry of the age and its unbridled pleasure were denounced with puritan thoroughness and conviction the apology is one of the first critical essays in english and though its style now seems labored and unnatural the pernicious result of euphuus and his school it is still one of the best expressions of the place and meaning of poetry in any language astrophel and stella is a collection of songs and sonnets addressed to lady penelope Devereux, to whom sidney had once been betrothed they abound in exquisite lines and passages containing more poetic feeling and expression than the songs of any other minor writer of the age george chapman 1559 question mark 1634 chapman spent his long quiet life among the dramatists and wrote chiefly for the stage his plays which were for the most part merely poems in dialogue fell far below the high dramatic standard of his time and are now almost unread his most famous work is the metrical translation of the iliad sixteen eleven and of the odyssey sixteen fourteen chapman's homer though lacking the simplicity and dignity of the original has a force and rapidity of movement which makes it superior in many respects to pope's more familiar translation chapman is remembered also as the finisher of marlowe's hero and leander in which apart from the drama the renaissance movement is seen at perhaps its highest point in english poetry out of scores of long poems of the period hero and leander and the fairy queen are the only two which are even slightly known to modern readers michael drayton fifteen sixty three sixteen thirty one drayton is the most voluminous and to antiquarians at least the most interesting of the minor poets he is the leamon of the elizabethan age and vastly more scholarly than his predecessor his chief work is polyolbion an enormous poem of many thousand couplets describing the towns mountains and rivers of britain with the interesting legends connected with each 
it is an extremely valuable work and represents a lifetime of study and research two other long works are the baron's wars and the heroic epistle of england and besides these were many minor poems one of the best of these is the battle of agincourt a ballad written in the lively meter which tennyson used with some variations in the charge of the light brigade and which shows the old english love of brave deeds and of the songs that stir a people's heart in memory of noble ancestors End of section 11.